amen. Good morning, church. I trust that you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving eating the premier form of turkey, which is smoked turkey. Sorry, that's just the truth. Well, my name is Giorgio Minacci. I'm the worship pastor here. For those of you that are, that are new, uh, that it's your first time perhaps here at West Shore, I want to welcome you. And those watching online, I also want to welcome you as well. As we launch into our four-week Advent series, as we look at the names of Christ that Isaiah gives to us in Isaiah 9. And when I, uh, was, was, when I was growing up, and I still am, I was a huge Dolphins fan. We had many years of sadness and disappointment, and we've also had some years of entertaining years, fruitful years, and as I was growing up, my hero was the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins, the one and only Dan Marino, Dan the man. Now, he never won a Super Bowl, but he's still one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever live. I had his football cards. I had his posters. I had his jersey. And I would have loved to have met him in real life at some point in my life. And when I was dating Noelle, who's my wife, uh, I met her brother, Jake, and he uh, told me, and when he found out I was a Dolphin fan, he told me that he'd actually worked for the stadium where the Dolphins had played. And one day, down in the locker room, when they were doing like an employee game, Dan Marino walks in, and he got to meet him. He got to interact with him. He got to talk with him. I was very jealous. And my question when he told me this was, well, what is he like? What is Dan Marino like? Now, if he would have answered this question in this way, I would have been sorely disappointed. Well, he's about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, brown hair. He's wearing brown shoes. He had a button-up shirt. You know, stands up pretty straight. I've been like, I, I don't care about his physical appearance. I don't care what he was wearing. I want to know what he was like in his personality and interacting with him. Because that's how you get to know someone, really understand who they are. It's not just from their physical attributes. You understand who someone is based on their character and personality. And what Isaiah does in Isaiah 9 is he gives us four names for Christ. And they're not just superficial descriptors of who the coming Messiah is and who Jesus is, but rather descriptors that show us the character and the nature of Jesus as a Savior. And so when Isaiah in Isaiah 9 answers the questions of, okay, well, what is the coming Messiah? He says he's going to be a child. He's going to be a son, okay? Well, what will happen when he comes? The government's going to be upon his shoulders. Well, what is he going to do, and why is he coming? He's coming to establish a kingdom with justice and righteousness. Now, we have to understand the context of this, because if, if, the, if, it, if we just stopped right there, for the Israelites during this time, if, if Isaiah just stopped right there, that he was going to come and establish a kingdom, they would have been happy. Because what they were looking for at that time, this is, eight, this is written 800 years before Christ came, Isaiah, or Israel was under the impression of oppression of the Assyrians. A lot of them were enslaved, and they were looking for political freedom, physical freedom from their circumstances. They wanted a king to come in and establish a new kingdom, like a, like a new King David, and bring back the glory from the former nation of Israel. Same thing when Jesus came in the Gospels. What were the Israelites, what were the Jewish people looking for? They were looking for a, a king that would come and free them from the oppression of Rome. But Isaiah goes further. 
This is not going to be a king. This is not going to be a Messiah that simply establishes a physical kingdom. But he's going to be a Messiah that establishes a spiritual kingdom. Where instead of just ruling over land or territory, he's going to rule over hearts. And the kingdom that he's going to establish is going to be one where those that are blind can see. Where those that are lost can be found. Where the sinner can come into the presence of God and stand before a holy God. Where those that were orphans can now be adopted as children of the living God. This is the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. One that is everlasting. One that is eternal. And one that is truly life-changing. And we see the confirmation of this in the character of Christ through the four names that Isaiah gives to us. And so let's look together at Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. We'll have the scriptures on the screen as well if you do not have a Bible. Reading from Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And his name shall be called. Isaiah here is not just listing off simple titles. He's not just telling us what, what nicknames this Messiah is going to have. He didn't just randomly choose these names either. As we believe this is the word of God, Isaiah chose them by the sovereign power and revelation of God to communicate to us what kind of king, what kind of child, what kind of savior this Jesus will be. And in these names, what Isaiah is saying is that through his rule and his reign of an everlasting spiritual kingdom, relief is coming. Peace is coming. Light is coming for those that have been covered in darkness. He will be your wonderful counselor, leading you, teaching you, counseling you through every season of your life. He will be the mighty God, the one who has ultimate victory, the one for whom nothing is impossible. He will be your everlasting father, your protector, your provider. And he will be your prince of peace, the one that makes peace between you and God. And so we rejoice this Advent because as we see the character of Christ in these names, he has come to bring relief and rest and light for the weary, the sinner, establish his kingdom. And so today we're going to look specifically at the first name that Isaiah gives us, that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. What does it mean that he's our wonderful counselor? Well, it means that he is an advisor, he's a guide, he's a mentor, he's a teacher that is remarkable and perfect in every way. And we seek people in our lives for counsel and wisdom all the time. Whether we have difficulty, whether we have a hard decision coming up, 
And wise counsel is something that many of us value and pursue, and it's good. But what Isaiah is saying here is that the one who will come into the world to counsel you, he will do it in a perfect and divine way. Son of God. And usually when you're looking for someone to counsel you, whether it be a licensed counselor or a friend or, or anyone that you trust, you don't go to someone random on the street when you need counsel for something really serious. Hey, hey, buddy, uh, I have this really big thing coming up. Can you tell me what I should do? Like, that's usually not a great way to go about life. So I want you to understand the qualifications for Jesus to be your counselor. And I could just say, he's the son of God, he is God, he is divine, and be done, be fine. But listen, listen to Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18 really gets the depth of who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Those are some qualifications for a counselor. And so today, here's our big idea. Jesus is our wonderful counselor who perfectly and completely gives us all wisdom and direction for life and salvation. He counsels us on the ways of God and understanding who our God is, giving us wisdom. He counsels us on how to live as a follower of his, as a child of God. He counsels us on what to do in times of trouble. And then he makes known to us the path of salvation and how to attain eternal life. As Jesus is the full and perfect fruition of anything good, he fulfills this needed and special role in our lives as one who is a director in all circumstance, in all instance of life, counseling us through everything. And so we're gonna look specifically at four ways that we see that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. The first way, he is our wonderful counselor as he reveals true wisdom, true wisdom, that is the wisdom of God. And so there's this foundation called the Knorr Foundation, and what it is, it's, a, it's made up of a number of philosophers and psychologists, and they write on different philosophical issues. And there was a conference where they had three of these philosophers on the stage. And the moderator asked this panel, asked them a simple question, what is wisdom? Now think about it for a second, these are three people who have studied most of their life philosophy. They have written books, they have written papers, they have taught on a collegiate level, they have PhDs, these are smart individuals. And the way they answer may be a little surprising. The first one says that wisdom is found in deliberating what you define as good in your life and then going after whatever that thing that you believe is good in a subjective way. So really wisdom is just whatever you think it is, it's up to you. It's different for everyone. The second one answers and says, well, it's not really one thing at all for living or appalling knowledge. Wisdom is just really, it's something you can't grasp. Not a helpful answer. And then the third one says that he doesn't even want to answer the question because he has no definition at all because it's so difficult to even peg a definition to what wisdom is. 
Why are these people paying money for this conference? And here's the thing. I'm not surprised by their answers because when you extract Jesus from the definition of what wisdom is, you can't define it. How can you define discernment and wisdom apart from the one who creates and perfects it? Does that make any sense at all? Without Jesus in your quest to understand or gain wisdom as a counselor, all you have is confusion. All you have is subjective ways of looking at what is right thinking? What is wisdom? What is discernment? Who is God? You'll just make up your own God in your head. But in the incarnation, what Jesus came to do is to make true wisdom known to you, but not just teach it but to impart it to where it becomes a fiber of your being, to where it transforms your life. John in John 1 says that Jesus is the very word of God made flesh. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that Jesus became the very wisdom of God for us. In Colossians 2, Paul writes, in Christ is hidden all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. He is the source. And so through his teachings, through his words, through his life, through his actions, through the power of his spirit, by his very essence, he is a source of all heavenly and good and perfect discernment, all right thinking, all perfect understanding, all divine knowledge. We get a correct view of who our God is. And we need that to survive. In John 1, as I mentioned before, talks about Jesus coming into the world, the Word become flesh. He says in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace, truth. The Word became flesh, Jesus, to be our wonderful counselor. And the wisdom that Jesus gives us, what it does is it answers life's hardest questions. Questions that philosophers and thinkers have grappled with for generations and they have never found the right answer. Questions like, why are we here? What is our identity? What is the purpose of life? What comes after this life? How can one find true happiness and joy? All this knowledge and wisdom is hidden in Christ, is given to us by Christ. And so today, we can, with confidence and joy, believe that we are his creation, that he has called us sons and daughters, and our purpose is to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And as he imparted all of God's wisdom, and when I say the wisdom of Christ, I don't mean just his words in the gospel. It's this, from cover to cover. Do we believe that these are all his words as he is God? And they all have power. Even the skeptics when he was here on earth could not deny that there was something different about Jesus. When we think about an example of this in John 7 at the Festival of Booths, as Jesus goes in the middle of this feast and he goes to the temple and begins teaching, and the people are marveling at his words. They're asking, who is this man? 
He hasn't studied? What is he talking about? He speaks differently than other teachers and rabbis. And the Pharisees and the chief scribes, they're getting all riled up and angry, and so they send officers to go and arrest Jesus. And the officers go, they hear this man preach and teach, and he comes back to the Pharisees, empty-handed. And they say to them, where is he? And what's their answer? Their answer is, no one ever spoke like this man. And we know that to be true. We know that to be true because when we hear the words of Christ, when we hear the wisdom of God that he reveals to us, there is nothing like his sweet words of truth and grace. That's why when we read his word and take in his wisdom and counsel and let his teachings sink deep in our hearts, what happens is true transformation. His words are alive with power and with might. And so we must receive them well and cling to the wonderful counselor to know who God is and receive true wisdom. And further than that, not only does he make us wise in the wisdom and ways of God, but then he also instructs us on how we should live as one of God's children, live as a follower. He doesn't just leave us alone for us to figure out how we're supposed to do this life, how we're supposed to live day to day. In Matthew 22, when he's asked, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? What does he say? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And this is just one example that when we take this commandment and we allow this wisdom to dictate our decisions, our behavior, our thoughts, our actions, we are allowing Christ to counsel us on how to live whether it be to live in a holy way, a life way pleasing to our God, counsels us on it all. And there's even something further than that. There's promises from the wisdom that, that Jesus gives in how to live. In 2 Peter 1, verses 2 through 4, Peter explains this. And this passage can be a little confusing, so we're going to get through it. We're going to do some hermeneutics on it. So in verse 2, 2 Peter 1, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through what? Through the knowledge of him, or the knowledge of God, who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So we're going to break this down. So what Peter's writing here is this. The divine power of God has made known to us all things regarding life and godliness. We cannot know anything about life or godliness apart from the divine power of God. And as divine power is necessary to know godliness, how is it made possible? Peter says that it's made possible through the knowledge and wisdom of God. The knowledge of God is the highway for us to receive divine power in order for us to be granted life and godliness. And as Jesus is our counselor who gives us knowledge, Jesus is thus giving us great power. 
And then for those that hear the voice of Christ, talks about this calling, and then have the knowledge of God and know that what we are called to, what we are called to through the gospel, that we are called to God's own perfect glory and excellence. Through that glory of excellence, we are then granted incredible promises. What are these promises? The promises go once again back to the beginning. The promise that we have been granted an understanding of life and godliness. We can see it. We can know it. We can live it out as Jesus reveals it to us. And because of this promise of being granted godliness through God's divine power, made possible by the knowledge of God, which is given to us by Jesus and empowered by his spirit, we then have an incredible reward. And what is this reward? The reward that we can have a divine nature, which means that we can emulate our God in our behavior, in our character. It goes from knowing godliness to actually living it out. And Peter talks about later on the description of what this means to have a divine nature, to live with a nature of virtue, of self-control, of steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, Christ-like love. And then as we live out this divine nature, it's proof that we have escaped the corruption of our flesh and the world and resist sinful desires. And then Peter gives the final prize at the end of all this. What is the final result? Our calling is confirmed and, he writes, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so just to sum this up real quick, Jesus as our wonderful counselor, what he does is he gives us divine power by revealing the knowledge of God through the calling to his glory and excellence as we're called to repentance and salvation. And from that, a promise is imparted to us, the promise of knowing godliness. And further than that, living it out by being dressed in the divine nature. And the result of wearing this divine nature is escape from our sin and receiving the prize of his eternal kingdom. And how that applies is this. Jesus came to give you more than just knowledge. He came to give you more than just understanding God as a subject that you study in school. He came to give you knowledge that is power for living a life of freedom, for living a life of redemption. And from that we get an amazing prize to be a child of God and get to be in his eternal kingdom. Jesus makes this possible through his truth, his power, by his spirit. And not only does he give us direction in how to live as a follower, but then he promises that we follow his commands. If we follow his counsel in how to live, we receive joy, true and lasting joy, not temporary joy, true satisfaction. In John 15, verses 10 through 11, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And so a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege to go to Jamaica, all-inclusive resort, my first time ever in an all-inclusive resort. And at an all-inclusive resort, you get as much food as you want. You get to order whatever you want, whenever you want. Now, you pay up front, hefty fee, 
And so, but when you're there, there is no check, right? There's no, nothing you got to give a credit card to in the moment of eating. So psychologically, it feels like the food's all free. You know, it feels, yeah, I got people nodding. They know what, they know what I'm talking about. And so I think that's why uh, my friend, the friends that we went with, they were just tired of my running joke that every meal I would say, I'm picking up the tab. It's just a dad joke, I guess. I don't know. So, but one of the things I was able to do there was they, have, they had the opportunity to take a class to go scuba diving. And scuba diving is something that I've always wanted to do my entire life. It's a bucket list item. My wife is deathly afraid of the ocean. She believes that the moment she steps into the ocean, she's going to be eaten by something. So I've never gotten to go scuba diving, but I had a friend there with me that said, hey, I want to do it with you. And so we signed up. We're going to take the class. And before the class, they give you this giant booklet that you have to read through. You got to do all these quizzes. It took a couple hours to do. Now, usually for me, I'm not a detail-oriented guy. Uh, I don't like that kind of stuff. But you know how when you get instructions for something, it's like, you know, you have like the regular font instructions, but then there's the instructions that has like warning, and then it's all in bold, underlined. You know, that's the one that your eyes kind of gravitate towards. You're like, all right, I got to pay attention to this one. There's two things that really, the only things I actually remembered from the entire class. But there are two things in that booklet that really piqued my interest. One of them was you have to equalize your ears correctly as you go deeper in the water. As the pressure changes, if you don't equalize your ears, you can burst your eardrum. Now, as a musician and someone who leads music every week, I need my ears in order to function properly in my role. And so that, I paid attention to that one. And the second one too was, when you go deep underwater, don't hold your breath. Because as the pressure is increased on your lungs, if you hold your breath, you can actually end up collapsing your lung which 50 feet underwater, 100 feet underwater, with a tank on, you have a collapsed lung, that's, not, that's a recipe for a disaster. And so we go to this class, and after reading this book, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, just trepidatious, uh, and the instructor did a great job, but I am hanging on every single word, every word that he has to say about the correct way to avoid bursting my eardrum or collapsing my lung. Now, he wasn't giving me that direction all the things he was telling me to do correctly. He wasn't giving me all that just to be a drag, just to waste my time, just to waste my money. He was doing that so that I would not die or be physically maimed underwater and also enjoy my time scuba diving, which had turned out great. It was super fun. But I think in the same way, it's a silly metaphor, but I think in the same way, when we think about the commands that Jesus gives, He's not giving us commands. He's not showing us a way to live just to be a drag, just to give us tasks that we need to check off every day. What he's doing is he is giving us the recipe to live a life of joy, to live a life of freedom, what it means to no longer live for yourself, to live for the sinful nature, but rather to live for God. And that path is how we find true happiness in life spiritual safety and so we trust our counselor who gives us wisdom and then gives us the way to live which is divine power to receive promises and rewards that are everlasting the third way that we see that Jesus is our wonderful counselor is he is a wonderful counselor as he leads us through all difficulty in life no matter what you are going through what you will go through. He is a perfect counselor. 
that in the worst of times speaks comfort with patience and grace. We think about Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the broken heart and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 147, 3. He heals the broken hearted and binds up their wounds. And then in Matthew 5, 4, Jesus' own words, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And when we have difficulty in life or need help making decisions, we often turn to those, to people that we respect for advice and direction. It could be a parent, it could be a friend, it could be a counselor, it could be a, a pastor, and all those people can be, can be gifts from the Lord. But understand that the words of Christ, that his word, is the ultimate counseling power that we have. And in his word, there may not be the exact answer for your specific situation, but I can tell you this, that no matter what you're going through, there is truth in his word that you can apply to any situation in your life and will enlighten to you comfort and peace and direction. So this is where we must start to find comfort in times of need and counsel. Jesus came so that you don't have to be alone in life when you're at wit's end. When you have a situation that you just don't know what to do, Jesus is there to counsel and comfort. When you're dealing with a, with a really hard family issue, it could be that your family is falling apart, it could be your marriage is in danger of faltering, Jesus is there to counsel and comfort and lead. When someone that you love dearly passes away and you feel the sting of death, he is there to counsel and comfort you just like he did with Martha at the death of Lazarus. When you're suffering with physical ailments, he's there to counsel you as a great healer that is all-powerful and near in your weakness. When you have perhaps a big decision, a big life decision in your life, could be regarding your career or a move, and you're going back and forth, the pros and cons of the two decisions, he's there to counsel and comfort you as he reveals in his timing his perfect will and direction for your life. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-sovereign. Imagine having a counselor who knows the most inward parts of your heart, who knows how your mind works perfectly, knows every strength of yours, every weakness flawlessly. He's the one because he's the one who created you. So he's trustworthy to be led in all seasons of life. Not only does he lead us through, through difficulty and counsel in a perfect and sovereign way, but he also sympathizes with our struggles. He knows your suffering. Isaiah says that he was a man of suffering. He suffered worse than any individual, past, present, or future has or will. Just for a moment, even when he came to earth and he was wrapped in flesh in the incarnation, think about what Jesus suffered. He was betrayed. He was lied about. He had agony on emotional and physical levels. He was treated with contempt. He was falsely accused. He faced extreme injustice. He was denied by one of those closest to him. He was deserted. He was openly and publicly mocked. He was tortured. He was exploited. He was rejected. He was humiliated. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was stabbed. He was crucified. And then heaviest of all, he was separated from God. 
completely isolated in darkness, as he had every sin of every individual on his back, and he took the wrath of God, all of it. He knows distress. He knows suffering. He knows difficulty and isolation. And it's the same way that when we're going through something hard, a lot of times we gravitate towards those that have been through the same situation. There's something about when someone can sympathize with your hard situation that brings you comfort and counsel because they know what you're going through. They've been there. Jesus has been through it all and more. And so he's trustworthy to counsel you through difficulty. Hebrews 4, verses 15 through 16, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He knows it all because he is a good counselor. He's a good savior. And not only does he counsel us in comfort, but then he, as he's a disciple maker, he's also a counselor multiplier. You think about it, right? That in first, 2 Corinthians 1, what Paul writes about how he comforts us, Jesus who comforts us in all our affliction, does so, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And so he multiplies his power so that we can be a counselor and comfort to brothers and sisters around us that are going through difficult times. It's an amazing thing. He's a God that just gives and gives and gives of his power. And he does so in this way. And finally, the last way we see that he is our wonderful counselor is as he came to declare salvation to counsel us on the ways of forgiveness and of eternal life. I just, want to look us, I just want us to look at two stories in the Gospels. The first is in Luke 4, towards the beginning of his ministry, and it says that he, he came to Nazareth where he, he had been brought up, and he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and he sees this part of Isaiah and this scroll, and he unrolls the scroll, finds it, and reads this. This is the perfect, wonderful counselor declaring salvation. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's what he came to fulfill as wonderful counselor. To tell those that were enslaved by their sin, there is a way for freedom. You don't have to live in darkness any longer. Light has come. What good news this is. It should be words of peace to us. And then one other instance in John 3, in the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. 
And he was hearing about Jesus, this, this Jesus that was going around and, and, and doing these incredible acts and these incredible miracles and was teaching this message that no one has ever heard before. And so as the, as the Pharisees are arguing over what they should do about this Jesus, Nicodemus has a, Nicodemus has a different response. He has a curiosity. There's something different about this man. He needs to know. He needs to know what this message of salvation that he preaches. He needs to be counseled on it. So what does he do? He goes under the cover of darkness because if he went during the day, that would be a really big problem for him. And he meets with Jesus at, at night. And this is what he says in John 3. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And don't you just love how Jesus just gives him little bites to get to the final unveiling of the message of salvation. And so Nicodemus is confused by this, and he says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And Nicodemus is still confused, and he says, how can these things be? I, I love the pursuit and the relentlessness of, of Nicodemus. We need to be that way. Like, give us more, give us more. Please tell us, what's the path of salvation, Jesus? And let's keep you down to verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then he completely unveils the message to Nicodemus, counseling him on the ways of salvation, showing him and showing us that Jesus did not come to just simply give us empty knowledge. He didn't come to just fill our brains with facts or to teach good lessons, or to just be your therapist, or to give you good rules for living a moral life. He came to counsel you and enlighten you on how to truly live and be saved from your sin. Be saved from darkness and enter light. And here it is in verse 16, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is why Jesus came. This is the message of the wonderful counselor, that we can be saved through him. Came to bring good news so that we would hear it, we would receive it, we would respond to it, that we'd throw off the old and be clothed in the new, that there'd be no more darkness, no more judgment, no more wrath of God for us, but now instead we receive the peace and forgiveness of God. And so this Advent season, my prayer, our prayer should be is that we rejoice in a fresh and new way that Jesus has come to be wrapped in flesh, to become the wisdom of God, to show us in that wisdom, to give us divine power, to have a di divine nature to live for our God, 
to not be alone in suffering, and then to be saved from the wrath of God and receive life. And so we thank him, we love him every day. We listen to his words. We pursue him the way Nicodemus did for his counsel, for his truth, for his words that are transformative and life-changing. Church, let's pray. So Jesus, we thank you that you are the wonderful counselor. We thank you that you are the one who gives us true wisdom, that we can see and know who God is, not on a superficial level, but on a depth that's even deeper than the deepest ocean. And we thank you that through your teaching, through your word, you've given us direction in this life, that you don't leave us alone to figure it out. And through the knowledge and the wisdom of God, as you counsel us, we receive divine power to have the divine nature. And we thank you that in, in our worst of times, in the lowest of times, when we are, are, are just dealing with true suffering, as a good counselor, your promise is that you are there with us, that you speak to us truth, that you speak to us peace and hope. And we thank you that you have taught us and led us in the ways of salvation. When we were lost, when we were in darkness, you've shown us light. So once again, we praise you, our Savior, our Messiah, our wonderful counselor. We worship you. In your holy name we pray, amen.